first of all, wasn't that awesome worship? Thank you for musically talented people. I have no musical talent, so we appreciate um, Pastor Rob and Sarah's uh, worship, leading us in worship. And what I took away from those songs is not only is God holy, Jesus is holy, and the Spirit moves in holiness among us, but they love us and they care for us and they want the best for us. That's just an awesome thing. <laughs> so it's also a great blessing to have the pastors that we've had here and that we have now. Um, pray that each one of us keeps each one of them in our prayers. Pastor Rob, Pastor Richard, Dave, Mark, and the elders, as well as our past teachers and pastors, Jeff, Billy, and Kevin. Maybe one of them is watching tonight, um, but I can't help but think that we've been poured into so much by each one of these people. Um, thankfully, they lean in and press in, and you know they continue to inspire us, even me. Um, again, I can't believe I'm even standing up here, but it's happening, so... I'm very thankful and grateful. And as we all know, tonight is the Super Bowl, but he's going to kill me, but I'm going to give a shout-out, happy birthday, to Glenn, who is out manning the security station tonight. So it's his birthday, so if you see him today, wish him a happy birthday. Um, so the Super Bowl is, to a lot of people, one of the, greatest events of all time among the Stanley Cup and maybe the World Series and Soccer World Cup and all that. But um, as believers, we can take comfort knowing that there is yet even a bigger matchup and that's already happened and it's victory, it's Jesus' victory over our sin on the cross. And that is more huge than what's going on tonight and something to be um, very grateful for and something to be um, to be revered and pondered and to be forefront in the things that we we do and say in our actions, the way we live as Christians. So as we walk, we're being prepared and equipped, and the Holy Spirit is helping us to do that. Um, and as we wait until Jesus comes and until we see his glorious face, like one of the worship songs uh, described tonight, that's what God wants to do. He wants to help us live this life and walk through it and be willing to put our lives on display for others around us, our family, our friends, our coworkers. And as Pastor Rob talked about this morning, the Christian life is certainly a challenge. 
um, the world would have us think that we should be striving for trophies and looking up to idols and putting our focus on so many different things where the victory is in Jesus. Jesus is the one we should lift high. He's the one, the most holy one. And it's a wonderful thing to live in the greatest country in the world next to Israel and to be able to stand here or sit here and have church, but also know there's uh, entertainment. But our Lord desires us to give our affection to him and our attention to him. And so this is just a blessing to be here um, and to listen, to hear his word. We're all seeking his face, and that's a wonderful thing. So another reason for Jesus to use his spirit to build us up and edify us is because Satan wants to discredit God. He wants to slander him and libel him and um, take our focus off of him, even though the victory has already been won for us. Uh, he is pulling out all the stops right now and trying to get our affections and our attention off of Jesus and to be distracted. Whereas God, by his spirit, continues to just pour out his love, his mercy, his grace. He gives us an unending diet. Um, as much as we want, he'll give. And as I reflect on giving some of these messages now, it's interesting. Um, it requires time, and it requires quiet. And putting aside the things of the world, the distractions that I have in my own life, it, it, it's an amazing time. And what he's showing me is it's worth it. It gives benefits. Um, it teaches me more about him. Settles my own heart. Settles my mind. And the enemy would like to do exactly the opposite, keep us in a mode of striving and and trying to keep up with our neighbors and our friends and trying to achieve things that perhaps don't really even amount to much, and, and they won't. We've heard it said many times from pastors, you can't take a U-Haul to heaven. So the things that we strive for and try to achieve and gain for ourselves they're not going to go with us. It's only our heart and our soul that are most important. And as one of the worship songs tonight, um, one of the lyrics was, here's my heart, Lord. I'm reflecting about how much I really give my heart to the Lord. Is that a constant thing for me? Do I compartmentalize it sometimes? I think the answers are yes. And it's interesting, the lyrics had me start to think about, wow, this message, um, it, it's speaking to me, but I kind of wonder how much of it is really 
my own interpretation versus the Spirit's interpretation. So I'm going to pray um, for us and each of us um, to really look into our hearts and ask for the Lord to open us up and to help us understand who we are in relation to him and to really help us to dive in deeper and to continue to dive in and to let him work on us. And that that's for me foremost. So before we begin, let's pray again. So Father, thank you so much. You're worthy of our praise. And Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice for us. And as Pastor Rob prayed, we just want the Spirit to move among us, Lord, and to help show us who you are. We can't wait to see your face when we get to you. Help us, Lord, to abide until you come. Help us to be more diligent, serious, more engaged in really finding out more about you and learning about you. We thank you for this time and just pray, Lord, that your word would penetrate our hearts and minds, Lord. Help us to focus more on you and, Lord, I pray for those that aren't here, Lord, um, that you just protect them and guide them while they're away. And for all those online, Lord, I also pray the same, that they would be prompted to learn more about you and spend time with you, which begins with opening up your word. And we thank you and love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I wanted to give you um, a taste of something that I saw when I attended the um, prophecy conference last month. It was really something that was eye-opening, and I don't believe I've seen it before. Some of you have probably heard of Paul Harvey. I have to give credit to Pastor Jeff Kinley. He was one of the pastors there at the, at the Prophecy Conference, and he shared uh, an audio video um, of Paul Harvey, uh, a message that he gave in 1965. Um, I don't know much about Paul Harvey. I didn't research him. You can do that. But uh, no matter who he is or who he was, he has passed now, but no matter who he was, it seemed like this particular um, bite was really telling about the way things were going in that day, like I said, 1965, and how things were going to go in the future. Um, so I, I guess we'll have Pastor Rob and Tom um, show that clip right now, and then we'll continue after. If I were the devil, if I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness. And I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population, but I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree. The. So I'd set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve. Do as you please. To 
the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And the old I would teach to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves, until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions, just let those run wild. Until before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing. I'd have judges promoting pornography. Soon I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who wanted until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. And what'll you bet? I couldn't get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich. I would caution against extremes in hard work, in patriotism, in moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. And thus I could undress you in public, and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. So that was eye-opening to me, and the room was really quiet after that for a few minutes. And I think a lot of us were really forced to think about what is our position with our Lord and how, how could we have possibly gotten here into this position, because that's very telling. I mean, we pretty much have experienced everything that he talked about. And that was 1965. I just can't believe it. Um, I mean, but I can. <laughs> it's, it's just uh, like 50 years, 60 years now. And we're in a place that reflects that, what he said. So if you'd indulge me, um, I guess the question is, how did we get here? Let's go back to Genesis 3. So if you would turn there with me please. So Genesis 3, 
This um, New King James shows it titled as The Temptation and Fall of Man. So verse 1, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the... I'm sorry, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then, now, just let's point out, Eve added the part, nor shall you touch it. Okay, so verse 4, Then the serpent said to the woman, you will, sh you will not surely die, and that's a lie right from right off the bat because God had already spoken to Adam and Eve and told them there were consequences for actions outside of his will. So verse 5, For God knows that in the day you eat of it, in your eyes, oh, it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. It just shows he's unbelieving that God would have grace and mercy on him, and yet he experienced that himself very shortly before this, he experienced the grace of God, the communion with God, the love of God. So then verse 9, then, oh, I'm sorry, verse 11. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. Huge excuse. <laughs> I mean, he was busted, and he just, instead of understanding the grace of God, he played the blame game. So verse 13, And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And essentially that's another excuse. She knew that God had told her the right way to go, and she just didn't obey that. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel." That speaks of Jesus and his position. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow 
and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Verse 20, And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. That shows the first sacrifice. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. And that's beautiful. There's us, meaning Father, Spirit, and Son. Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword, which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So, verse 23 there, tilling the ground, Adam becomes the first farmer. <laughs> Beforehand, he didn't have to do anything, and now, because as a consequence of sin, he now has to um, kind of pull up his bootstraps and do his own work. So if we could go to chapter 6. So in chapter 3 we saw sin and the consequences were starting to be laid out and in verse or I'm sorry in chapter 6 we'll see more about judgment and consequences. So, chapter 6, verse 1. Now, it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. So here we see the diminished lifespan already starting to occur, which is a consequence of sin. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And so here in verse 5, I'm just paralleling it in my mind with what the um, soundbite described the intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I mean, that just speaks like from Adam and Eve through the next generation already there was sin. 
Verse 6, And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. And verse 8, But, <laughs> love that, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So Noah had been following God, listening to God, uh, obeying God. Apparently, no one else was. And it's just comforting to know that at all times, God sees what we're doing, but and good or bad, at all times, now we have the ability to ask for forgiveness. Believers believe that Jesus' blood atones for our sins and covers it, and that's what we need. Our faith is in Jesus. Our faith is in his work, his sacrifice, his blood. But again, like we know, it's not easy. <laughs> uh, but praise the Lord, that is a complete solution, and it takes care of our sins. Um, so, as we're walking this life, God never leaves us nor forsakes us. We know that from Scripture. Um, if you could go to Isaiah 65 with me, I'd like to read that. What this speaks to is God is a righteous God, but he's also available. He's caring. He's um, always um, looking out for our good. And he also he's always looking for us to come to him. So, verse 1, Isaiah 65. I was sought by those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. So beyond Israel, he opens up himself to the rest of the world. Verse 2, I have stretched out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good according to their own thoughts a people who provoke me to anger continually to my face, who sacrifice in gardens and burn incense on altars of brick, who sit among the graves and spend the night in the tombs, who eat swine's flesh, and the broth of abominable things is in their vessels. So these couple verses speak of idolatry and un eating unclean foods. Verse 5, who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me for I am holier than you. These are smoke in, in my nostrils, a fire that burns all day. So this is like the Jewish Hebrew state of their heart. They're prideful and they're self-righteous here. But then God replies, basically saying, they stink. And 
they stink because of their sin. Verse 6, Behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silence, but will repay, even repay into their bosom, your iniquities and the iniquities of your fathers together, says the Lord, who have burned incense on the mountains and blasphemed me on the hills. Therefore, I will measure their former work into their bosom. Verse 8, Thus says the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one says, do not destroy it, for a blessing is in it, so will I do for my servants' sake, that I may not destroy them all. I will bring forth descendants from Jacob and from Judah, an heir of my mountains. This speaks about a remnant. My elect shall inherit it, and my servants shall dwell there. Verse 10, Sharon shall be a fold of flocks, and the valley of Achor, a place for herb, herds to lie down. For my people who have sought me, but you are those who forsake the Lord. So he's talking about the people that are haughty and prideful and don't give heed to him. Who forget my holy mountain, who prepare a table for Gad, and who furnish a drink offering for Mini. Therefore, I will number you for the sword, and you shall all bow down to the slaughter, because when I called, you did not answer. When I spoke, you did not hear, but did evil before my eyes, and chose that in which I do not delight. And again, I'm seeing the parallel here to uh, the video. Um, we can get very distracted and go on our own way, and as... The word here speaks about Israel or Jacob. Um, they were going their own way, and they were thinking about their own desires, their own um, edification, rather than seeking the Lord. So verse 13, Therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, my servants shall eat, but you shall be hungry. Behold, my servants shall drink, but you shall be thirsty. Behold, my servants shall rejoice, but you shall be ashamed. Behold, my servants shall sing for joy of heart, but you shall cry for sorrow of heart and wail for grief of spirit. To me, this speaks of like us in this generation now throwing our hands up, saying, what happened? How did this all happen? Well, when our eyes get off the Lord and get off of his principles, which when we evaluate them and we examine them on our own and we experience the goodness of him, we know they're good and we know that he's good and he means well and he wants the best for us. So verse 15, you shall leave your name as a curse to my chosen for the Lord God will slay you and call his servants by another name so that he who blesses himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth, and he who swears in the earth shall swear by the God of truth, because the former troubles are forgotten and because they are hidden from my eyes. Verse 17, this is a switch now. The first half is kind of like the judgment and the consequences, but for believers, we have a hope. And so as we start here in verse 17, God shows that he's going to renew 
and recreate. So verse 17, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing, and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem, and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. And to me, this reminds me of Revelation. And in Revelation, in the last chapters, 21, which, if I have time, we'll read that too, um, that just gives us a hope. So verse 20, No more shall an infant from there live but a few days, meaning infants will not die in infancy, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die 100 years old, but the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. And my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth children for trouble. For they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord, and their offspring with them. Verse 24. This is more promises, more um, picture of restoration. So it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear as if, you know, the Lord, he is just anxious and waiting to bless and fulfill promises. Verse 25, the wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. So, let's go to Jeremiah 6 quick. <laughs> Keep turning to the right. This shows the better way, the path. Let's go to verse 16. Sorry, we're not going to read that all. Just verse 16. So, speaking about, like referring to what we just heard, um, if we decide for ourselves that God and his ways are not beneficial to us and don't matter, um, there are consequences. But he's imploring the people here to reconsider and understand the ills of their ways. So verse 16 says, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. And this is like God telling them that there's no improvement necessary. You know, he's given the way, he's given truth, he's given love. Um, and 
it's kind of funny because don't we just want to like reinvent the wheel? I deal with this at work a lot. So we're in a technical environment and we keep thinking there's a better way. And many people who are technically minded will continue to look for something better, something to make things more efficient. And at times I'm scratching my head going, but the Lord already helped us get to this point. Is there really more? And should we be looking at more in this one area versus putting our attention in another area? And I don't know, I just get a chuckle out of that. Um, Let's go to Jeremiah 29. So what we see here is that God has a good plan. He has already made a plan out for us. Um, He's gracious and he's looking out for his people, Israel, but we're grafted in um, to the vine. Jesus is the vine and we're the branches. So if we go, let's go Jeremiah 29, start at verse 11. And I'm sure a lot of you have probably read this a lot. So verse 11 is, For I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope, which is his good plan. Verse 12, Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. Uh, that's good enough. So he, what we'll see in um, Genesis 9 coming up quick here is when God makes a covenant, he means it, and he brings his promises to pass. So let's go to Genesis 9. (laughs) So if you remember last time, Genesis 8, the flood has come. Noah and his family and all the animals are adrift. Not. God knows exactly where they are. So even though they're in a boat, it doesn't speak to us about Noah building a rudder or a steering wheel or um, any means of directing it, but God is directing the boat. Um, So let's actually go to... Maybe we should go to Well, let's go chapter 8, verse 20. We'll start there. So chapter 8, verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, 
I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, and you remember we just read that in previous chapter, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. So verse 22, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. So that's God just saying he's not going to let up. Um, he's always going to provide the seasons in his grace and mercy, and he's always going to be consistent until Christ returns. So let's start with verse 1 in chapter 9. Um, the heading here in this version says God's promise to Noah. So as we read this, take a look and see how many times um, covenant is mentioned and how many times rainbow is mentioned. There'll be a quiz in a minute. <laughs> so God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, on all that move on the earth and on all the fish of the sea, they are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Surely for your life blood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it, and from the hand of man. From the hand of every man's brother I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And don't you wish you could just hear the Lord's voice like right next to you? He prompts us by his spirit. He gives us... Um, wisdom and understanding uh, but I would just love to hear in the way we hear how the Lord sounds we'll get there when we get to see him in heaven so verse 8 then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him saying and as for me behold I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth, thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. Verse 13, I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. 
The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Let's keep going a couple more verses. So verse 18, he just reiterates the genealogy here, which is important. So throughout the Old Testament, we're given a picture of how God is bringing peoples and families and generations together to bring forth Jesus as our Messiah. That's why many times the genealogies are listed so verse 18, now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Ham was the father of Canaan. Verse 19, these, were, these three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. So verse 20, and Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. So I wanted to end um, in the middle here with that because as a farmer, thanks, Pastor Rob. Yes, I need you now. <laughs> um, there are a couple things that um, kind of come out from farming that I wanted to show another video to kind of describe um, what God's plan for us is so if you remember Adam was a first he became you know tender of the garden and had to work the soil so that was kind of a farming theme and here Noah also is another first but after all creation was um, destroyed by the flood before we watch the video I wanted to kind of give you a visual contrast comparison of some words um, in here, and actually specifically from Webster's Bible, which kind of parallels the theme about how did we get here and how did this happen. I found it interesting. I happen to have a Bible that was my mom's from college it's a Webster's Bible 1959 version, and in it, the definition for Bible, the word Bible is actually capitalized, and it says, the book made up of writings accepted by Christians as inspired by God and of divine authority, the scriptures including the Old and New Testaments, a pre-Christian Greek translation, which is the Septuagint, of the Hebrew Old Testament and the Greek version of the New Testament form the Bible in use in the Orthodox Church and some other Eastern, Eastern churches. So now, let's contrast that with the Bible I used in college, or I'm sorry, the dictionary that I used in college, which was 1986 version. So get this. Bible, small b. 25 years later, 
1959 to 1986. It's not capitalized. And the definition here says, the sacred scriptures of Christians comprising the Old Testament and New Testament, the sacred scriptures of some other religion, such as Judaism. That's it. It's not the inspired word of God anymore. It's not, uh, it, it's almost like it's void of the meaning. And, and, and that happened over 25 years. And here I've got another, let's see. When you look at Old Testament in the 1959 version, Here's the definition, and that's capitalized. Old Testament is capitalized. The covenant of God with the Hebrews as set forth in the Bible, capital B, also the books of the Bible in which this covenant is given. The canonical books, including the law, prophets, and a bunch of other words I can't say. But <laughs> No, because I can't pronounce them. But then Old Testament in the 1986 version says the first part of the Christian Bible containing the books of the Jewish canon of scripture and that's it it's like they're trying to dumb it down to like um, make it less of what it is and I guess the publishers or the editors of the Bible just it seems like they've changed or they have decided somehow to make subtle changes, which I feel is just not appropriate. <laughs> that's that's my... So anyway, uh, um, so the, let me... One, one last one. So the difference between Noah, so Noah in the 1959 version of Webster's Bible is defined as a patriarch who at God's command built an ark to save his family and a number of individuals of all living creatures in the time of the deluge or flood. And now Noah defined in the 1986 Webster's Bible, an Old Testament patriarch who built the ark in which he, his family, and living creatures of every kind survived the flood. To me, there's a huge difference there. The two key words are saved versus survived. Anybody by sheer will can survive, but it's by the Lord's grace and mercy and his divine plan that Noah was saved. I just felt like there's manipulation here that's going on that it literally happened in my generation. Um, it shouldn't shock me. I guess what it does is it disappoints me because I didn't even know it was happening. And just something prompted me to look into the, the, <laughs> look into the dictionary um, to see if there were differences, and there were. So, um, so in God's
grace and in his love, he does give us things to do. And the next video that we'll see kind of describes what, um, in Paul Harvey's words, disclaimer, you know, this is this man's um, interpretation of things. And I think what he gets across here is there's a way to live your life a godly way. And I think he describes it here. So let's listen and watch. And on the eighth day, God looked down on his planned paradise and said, I need a caretaker. So God made a farmer. God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. I need somebody with arms strong enough to wrestle a calf and yet gentle enough to deliver his own grandchild. Somebody to call hogs, tame cantankerous machinery, come home hungry, have to wait lunch until his wife's done feeding visiting ladies, then tell the ladies to be sure and come back real soon and mean it. So God made a farmer. God said I need somebody willing to sit up all night with a newborn colt and watch it die and dry his eyes and say maybe next year. I need somebody who can shape an axe handle from a persimmon sprout, shoe a horse with a hunk of car tire, who can make harness out of hay wire feed sacks and shoe scraps, who planting time and harvest season will finish his 40-hour week by Tuesday noon and then pain in from tractor back put in another 72 hours. So God made a farmer. God had to have somebody willing to ride the ruts at double speed to get the hay in ahead of the rain clouds and yet stop in midfield and race to help when he sees the first smoke from a neighbor's place. So God made a farmer. God said, I need somebody strong enough to clear trees and heave bales, yet gentle enough to yean lambs and wean pigs and tend the pink combed pullets who will stop his mower for an hour to splint the broken leg of a meadowlark. So God made a farmer. It had to be somebody who'd plow deep and straight and not cut corners. Somebody to seed, weed, feed, breed, and rake, and disc, and plow, and plant, and tie the fleece, and strain the milk, and replenish the self-feeder, and finish a hard week's work with a five-mile drive to church. Somebody who'd bail a family together with the soft, strong bonds of sharing, who would laugh, and then sigh, and then reply with smiling eyes when his son says, that he wants to spend his life doing what dad does. So God made a farmer. So that makes me admire farmers even so much more. Um, it kind of puts into perspective all the work that they have to do. And if we see God as a farmer in our lives, cultivating our hearts, um, opening up ways to discover him through his word primarily, but even in each other. When we give to one another, when we fellowship with one another, break bread, um, come to messages like this, um, it's, it's all like intertwined, and it's in God's plan for us to be together, to share experiences with one another. And at the end there, it that sort of reminded me of, you know, entering in 
to heaven when he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. I think we all want to hear that, right? So how do we, how do we go about doing that? Well, we exercise our faith. And in Hebrews 11, you don't need to go there, but I'll read it. And we've all read this many of times. Hebrews 11 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the words, worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he, being dead, still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, that God is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And verse 7 says, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. And what we're taught here in the word is that there is a hope and there's a place. And Jesus himself said he is going to prepare a place for us. And that's going to be a beautiful union with him. And to close, if we could go to Revelation 21. It shows a picture of that, of what we can hope for and why we should persevere and keep going and keep doing what we believe we're being led by the Spirit to do in order to please our Father. So... We'll just read the first few verses of Revelation 21. So verse 1. Oh, I'm sorry. The t subtitle here says, All things are made new. So chapter 21, verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And even now, as we're studying together, God is preparing us as his bride. He's imparting things, wisdom, knowledge, um, and understanding of him so that we can be prepared and we can be ready for when he comes. So verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. 
verse 6, and he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. And it's awesome that that one song today, we do thirst for the Lord. Those who have lived through all sorts of experiences, this here like tops all of our experience. Just being with the Lord is going to be a glorious day, a glorious time. So verse 7, He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he will be, he shall be my son. And verse 8, But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So God does have a plan. He has laid out um, so many examples of um, folks that have gone through really hard, challenging times, but he's never left or forsaken people that remain um, committed to having faith in the promises that he lays out. And Noah is an example of that as well. Noah's faith, we're not shown it, but apparently Noah's faith didn't waver throughout the whole flood season enough so that he would be saved and he saved he was saved along with his family. So I wanted to leave you tonight with a blessing from Psalm 67. I can read it or you can come along with me. Um, it's a short one. Kind of reminds me of numbers. So this is subtitled An Invocation and Doxology, a Psalm, a Song. So Psalm 67, God, be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Then the earth shall yield her increase. God, our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. So, Father, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for bringing us your word. Thank you for bringing folks out to listen. Pray, Lord, that anything said here or presented here today, Lord, if it wasn't rightly presented, Lord, that you would erase it. And that only your goodness and your love and your grace and your mercy towards us, Lord, would prompt us to dig in and dive deeper to get to know you more, Lord, that you would be the object of our affection, our vision, Lord, that you would give us wisdom and vision of you and 
that you would bless our rides home, Lord, and bless our work week and help us to be faithful to you, Lord, in everything we do and say. Thank you again, Lord, for everything to all. All to you we owe, Lord. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you.